0: You're listening to Under a Red Glow, a photography podcast covering the wide spectrum of the art and history of photography with an emphasis on chemical, darkroom, and alternative-based processes. Be sure to visit us at www.underaredglow.com. And now your host, John Milliker, Jr. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Under a Red Glow podcast. My name is John Milliker and I'm a full-time photographer who practices, teaches, and demonstrates nearly every photographic process in history – including modern digital gear and techniques and with me in studio is my co-host and lovely wife Christine. She practices and demonstrates many of processes as well and is our entry level process and kids class instructor. Welcome Christine.
1: Hello. I'm going to take a drink. <laughs> this has that been is
0: an- that is way too much. I get, I got to we got to pare that down. I can't I can't do it. And then we started our we 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 sat down to record and our third <laughs> Our third roadcaster Pro is now throwing up an, an un, un uh, kind of an unverified error, so we got a little bit of video for that because this uh, our our mixing board may have to go back again. It's been working what about eight eight months now, nine
1: months now. Didn't we get an error? Uh, we've had or two a, ago. We've had
0: errors before, and then like I turn it off and back on. I mean, look. I haven't. I'm, what I'm going to do is, I haven't formatted the, the card in the mixer in a while, and we record we record to the mixer, and then we also record a pass through on uh, on our studio computer. But I haven't I haven't formatted that card in a little bit. We're a little bit more halfway through on that card. I think we've got. I don't know. I can't remember what the size of the card is, but maybe the card's got a problem. I doubt it, but maybe. And what we'll do is we'll I'll format it format it and 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 kind of keep notes on on what's going on but i i took a video of us trying to record and the error that kept popping up if it's you know if it happens once a year i'm not worried about it but if it if it's last the last two roadcasters we had gotten it just you know those errors just started happening more and more and more frequently and uh yeah so i don't know i don't know I love I love the mixer. Other than that, and uh, you know, longtime listeners would understand you know, we've we've had quite a bit of problems with these with these roadcasters and and it's I I don't want to say that they're problematic, but the problem is is I've not seen anybody else online have issues with them. And it's not like I'm I'm hooking crazy stuff up to it. We got we've got it going. Uh, we've got it patching into the studio computer. We've got two microphones, two headphones. We have our, our telephone inline and Bluetooth set up, so we have we have two lines for whenever we do like workshops or or lessons or things like that. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll mess with it and try to figure it out. But anyway, let's uh, let's go. on. I've I've seen some really cool uh, I've seen some really cool news about a new uh, fil- uh, Fujifilm Film Instax camera, and. Uh, uh, but the thing is, is it's $100, and it looks more like a film camera. It's called the Instax Mini 40, and you can go over to Fujifilm.com, uh, forward slash JP, forward slash EN uh, News, HQ6417. I will put a link of that in the show notes if you would like to read read about this. But they're introducing this, this camera that's uh, about $100 US. It's pretty much the same as the Mini 40, though, everything I've – I'm looking at the specifications. It's very similar to the mini forty, except it's you know it's kind of fancier and filmier looking. And that camera is at seventy dollars. so it's thirty dollars cheaper. And they're also going to be coming out with a a new style of of Instax film, which is actually pretty cool, called the contact sheet. mini format instax film is going to be released on the same day, which is going to be april coming up april twenty first, twenty twenty one. And the design simulates a contact sheet, a bromide sheet printed with film, uh, photos taken in films <laughs> to check individual images. Uh, but it's actually really cool. I'm looking at it now, and it's it's exactly that. It's a it's a, a a color color print in the middle. It's got the black border around everything. It's not a border. I mean the whole the whole outside of of your picture. The the whole holdy part of the Instax film is black, and then everything. And then it's kind of an interesting font in orange that says Fujifilm Instax on the top, and then Instax, and then the ISO of the film on the bottom. But that uh, that looks pretty neat. Now these these films are what are these picture sizes? They are uh, the pictures. The, the film size is eighty-six millimeters by fifty-four millimeters. What in the heck is that in in the King's English Imperial? stuff let's see 86 millimeter two inches that is uh, almost three and a half inches tall and 54 and a little bit over two inches wide and then of course the picture size is is smaller that's 62 by 46 so these are kind of small i've always liked the instax wide film to play around with and honestly i don't ever think we've i don't even think we have any instax mini cameras
1: no, I don't think so. I know
0: we've got a couple wide ones, and we've we've kind of Frankenstein'd up a couple of the wide ones and put them in other cameras. But uh, I don't know the Instax Mini stuff. Let's see what's uh, what's the the normal price for this stuff? A twin pack of of Instax Mini film, which is uh, it's a it's a pack of ten, but a twin pack of that is eh, going for. A, about thirteen, fourteen dollars. So I guess that's not too bad. I think the Instax wide film, if you get a, if you get a, a large bulk of it, it's like a dollar, maybe two dollars a sheet. Okay. Does that sound right?
1: I'm not sure. I haven't oh, priced it, it, dear.
0: Instax wide. You've bought some before. Uh, a pack of five. Let's see. I'm, I'm looking at a pack of five of Instax wide. And that is seventy about seventy five dollars. So yeah, a little bit more. Not not two dollars a sheet, not two dollars a photo, but about about that. And you can get a twin pack of twenty exposures for eighteen, eighteen dollars. That's that's not too bad at all. No. And I I would I don't know. I mean it really depends on what you're trying to do, but I would love to see the wide instead of the the mini all day, every day. Because that's more close to the old uh, the old Polaroid size.
1: Yeah, wider and a little bigger, but mm-hmm. everyone seems to be aiming for the little tiny things anymore.
0: Lately. And that's cool. I, I guess they're going after the kids' market because you know the kids want something they can they can put in their pocket and something that's and, and definitely cheaper. So I'm I'm I love the fact that that anyone is still printing anything nowadays, especially nowadays where everything is just digital and on a screen. But you know, it's it's just kind of interesting. The, the wide format is 106 millimeter by 84 millimeter, so uh, you know whatever that is.
1: I wonder if they're aiming to make it seem like you know those little film uh, cameras in the mall that you used to get in with your friends and just take like four po- photos posing and stuff. It sounds like the new new ones are about that size.
0: You know what? And, and I guess I really shouldn't say this, but I've been I've been and it's been a while since i've touched it so hopefully it sees the light of day but i've been working last last year maybe a year and a half ago i started working on a on a camera that that basically worked the same way and this camera had a sliding mechanism so that i could put a piece of photo paper that was exactly the same size as those as those old mall photo booths <laughs> that had the four images. I think I showed you a couple of the prototypes that I had. and but the problem was i was i couldn't i I didn't know how to to do the bellows, and that's the last thing I need to do with it, but it's a camera where you can take four shots and uh, and advance the the paper the the very thin paper you know, I guess the paper negative, and you can shoot on all of them, and that was back when i was I was really enjoying playing around with reversal processes on photo paper. Okay. so i had worked on something very similar to that but here's the thing if somebody came up with a camera and it, uh, all it has to be is a piece is a digital camera and some zinc so some zinc ink with that size of that paper and all they have to do is say okay we'll take four images of your friends or, or whatever you want to photograph and then 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 print it out on that i think if somebody made a a camera that had that kind of film in it that simulated that old vintage mall or or uh, vacation destination photo booth, I think that, that would that would work out really well. Now of course you need to worry about, you know, completely new production of Z ink paper or whatever paper you're using to fit that format. So that's problem number one. That's a gamble. Right. And then but but the thing is 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 it's not they're not that wide. Any printer in these Instax cameras or or Z Ink cameras now, um, they they have no problem doing that wide. You would just need to be able to, to to program them to do that long, which shouldn't be shouldn't be an issue. So you know, I think your I would think your your mechanical camera part would be okay. It's just the production of that of that paper. And like I said, if you're using Z Ink, that's I think I think you'd be okay. Maybe Instax. I don't think. I would think that'd be kind of a, kind of a pain. I don't know. I don't know. It'd be kind of interesting. I think. I think. I think you're onto something there because that's the, kind of the thought I had. Uh, like I said, a year and a half ago, when uh, I was I was working on the camera, and I was trying to figure out how to make the bellows work because the problem is you've got this small camera, but then you've got this long film holder that needs to be able to click and and expose the image that's on the inside inside the camera. And then, and then you would have to develop it, and then reversal process it. But it was something I was really interested in when I because I am building that, and I am building one of those Afghan box cameras. And I thought it'd be really cool to be able to take that to events, um, and and kind of offer that as a as a kind of thing. Yeah. I know I am a glutton for punishment because <laughs> uh, you know when you are talking about developing and then and then reversal processing something, you are you are you are kind of taking it a little bit further, and that is where you you develop and stop the 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 paper and then you bleach it out you expose it again and then you develop it out and then stop it and fix it and and there you that's that's how your reversal works and not many papers nowadays kind of lend themselves to that so i don't know i had found a paper that that we that we enjoyed using for the reversal process but yeah yeah it's it's a it's a tough (laughs) it's a tough thing to do right but once you I mean like anything once you have it down and and you keep good notes over it uh your reversal processing is is no big deal uh over on petapixel i saw someone had created now usually i'm i'm not a fan of taking vintage cameras and ripping the guts out and putting something new in it but but polaroid you know we don't really have much polaroid stock anymore and i don't even know if Fujifilm is making The peel and pack uh, the pack film anymore that these polaroid cameras use but somebody took a an old polaroid camera and uh, and this one here they used is the minute maker but they they put a raspberry pi which is a computer development board you can you can program it you can put uh, it runs a, a very basic linux operating system you can hook a camera up to it which is not the greatest in quality but you know for this project you don't really need to be. And then they put an LCD screen on the back, basically making it look like this, uh, you know, turning this nice Polaroid camera into a digital camera. And then on top of that, they put a $60 thermal la- label printer in that, receipt printer in the ca- in the camera. And basically it works kind of like a black and white Polaroid on on a thermal paper. And if you remember correctly, we talked about the Vtex New instant camera coming out, well, it's not really instant, but the new camera coming out with a printer built in and that's coming sometime this summer. This is kind of like a DIY version of it. And it I was really excited about it at first because I think anybody who's into DIY, anyone who's into you know programming a little bit or or whatever, I think this is a very cool project. But the problem is it uses a thermal printer um, from a company called Adafruit and this thing is just it looks like garbage. Um, it's got lines all through it and maybe they got a maybe they got a junk thermal printer. Um, yeah, I'm, I maybe you can find a different thermal printer out there that would work, but uh, as, as far as this, this is concerned is and, until they they fix this thermal printer problem, I think I think it's not a very good uh, very good thing to do. If you're really going DIY, I could see that being being worth it but the thermal printer alone was like $60 and and VTech is coming out with this <laughs> and it and it looks like a kid's camera the VTech what what I say kitty zoom print cam for $75 <laughs> uh, and it's and it's got a thermal printer in it that is so much better looking now of course it's going to depend on if uh, you know if you need to buy specialty paper from VTech Hopefully you don't have to. They're saying, uh, they're saying. What did they say? the The price of each photo was. Um. Uh, let's see. You don't need to pay seventy five cents a pop for a photo. It drives the price down to a penny a sheet, a penny a photo. So I'm guessing they're they're smart enough to say, okay, well we're going to use a standardized thermal receipt paper that is available everywhere that way parents can can bulk up can 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 buy bulk and stock up on rolls and rolls of this paper for their kids and they can they can print thermal pictures out all day every day. And honestly, I am still very excited about this camera. I think this camera is very cool. But I will say that I was like, okay, well, VTech can't be the first ones that came out with this. So I I did a search online and not only are there other camera companies, and these are kind of no-name camera companies. So you're if you go with Vtech you're going to have a little you know a certain kind of quality with an established electronics maker but there are other cameras out there and I tell you what there's for like 40 bucks there is a thermal bluetooth printer that you can hook your camera you can hook up your phone up to and then photograph with your phone and then send the prints to to this little thermal printer and I may have to get one to play with. It's uh, I'm looking at one from a company called AIBECY. I B E C Y. I don't even know how to to pronounce that, but it is a G O O J P R T Parapage Mini Pocket Wireless B T Thermal Printer Picture Photo Label Memo Receipt Paper Printer with USB Cable Support for Android, iOS, Smartphone, and Windows. <laughs> these, That's Ch- these Chinese brands, um, just you know, just call it what it is, and then let me go down to the about of the item to find out everything else about it <laughs> but it, it looks pretty interesting a a 1000 milliamp or one amp uh, rechargeable battery uh 203 dpi resolution and it prints 57 millimeter by 30 millimeter oh that's the roll diameter mm. oh. yeah so it, it it looks like a very standardized and and this company themselves makes like colored paper rolls for thermal interesting glossy printable sticker paper for this camera Our
1: kids would love that oh yeah make their own stickers
0: that's really interesting there's all the there's also another one m-u-n-b-y-n is the the manufacturer mini portable printer pocket bluetooth wireless photo printer for mobile phone oh <laughs> so i'm I have to get may have to get one of these and and try it out but i'm i really want something that I don't have to be stuck with your company's paper. I want to make sure that I can get photo paper anyway because that's what future proofs this thing. If you come out with a, a device if VTech comes out with a camera that has that takes this specialized roll paper and you can't get this roll paper anywhere else and VTech decides, "Oh, we're not making enough money for this. We're going to stop uh, we're going to stop manufacturing this this paper." Uh, then you're you're kind of you're kind of SOL. Right. I don't know. It's kind of interesting.
1: That is interesting. Has anybody
0: out there ever ever used one of these thermal printer printers or thermal paper cameras? And and what brand did you get? Uh, what was your thoughts on it? And could you use just regular thermal paper? Now, I love that the company makes, like I said, colors and and sticky thermal paper. I think that's great, but um, but for future proofing. Is it just a standard receipt thermal paper printer? I'm going to look, I'm gonna have to look into that because I, I want one of these. I want one of these printers, and I also want one of those VTech cams because that is so cool.
1: <laughs> you would have a lot of fun with all of them.
0: Yeah. The only problem is the VTech camera looks
1: – it's a kid's camera. Yeah. And it looks yeah. like a
0: kid's camera, which could be totally cool and fun.
1: We can all be kids at heart. Yeah, I guess. <laughs>
0: Uh, what are we going to talk about today, Christine?
1: Today we are going to talk about if you only had one lens.
0: Ooh, that's tough. That's evil. That's mean. It is. One so we we're we're, we're going to say let's what's the what's the scenario? Post-apocalyptic world, uh let's see uh Harold Bemis, maybe have one, you know, one thing for the for the rest of your rest of your life. <laughs>
1: I'd hope you'd be able to search the world and find other ones, but is that what sure. his name was,
0: Harold Bemis? Of uh, you know what I'm talking about, the Twilight Zone episode.
1: I I can't. I know I what you're talking about.
0: This episode every.
1: I know what you're talking about, <laughs> but I don't remember his name. You know me in names. I think It's
0: Harold Bemis. <laughs> and if anybody doesn't know, uh, check out. I don't know what 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 the name of the episode is, but it is a t- and every cartoon and show has parodied this. But the the basic gist of it is this: this gentleman uh, likes to read books. That's his life and his world. He loves reading books, and well, um, something happens, and the uh, something happens, and the world ceases to, you know, everybody in the world ceases to exist. Some kind of apocalyptic event happens, and uh, and Mister Bemis finds, he finds a library. I think he found food. He found food and a library. And all these books in this library were still were still okay. Uh, Mr. Bemis also, by the way, had a very bad vision problem and he had these really thick, thick, thick glasses and he uh, he bends down to uh, to pick up a book and his glasses shatter. And yeah. it's like it's one of those things you know you had everything everything you could ever wish for, and all of a sudden it is completely taken away from you. Kind of like that what is what would your? What would your number one lens be? And let's let's save it. Let's save that for the end because I want to go through the different lenses we have and kind of rationalize what what are the pros and cons of picking these lenses for you know for your, your one if you had to have one lens, right? That would be it, right? Yeah. So what, what where do we want to start? You wanna well, start wide or you wanna start Zoom or or you wanna start like funky lenses?
1: Let's start with Maybe wide, okay, and work our way narrow well or long nothing something?
0: nothing is wider than a fisheye lens right wow <laughs> and and here's the interesting part I mean I could see I could see having nothing but a fisheye lens with me, and I could appreciate the fact that man uh, you you you're you're super wide you get everything in the in the view uh, after a while of just shooting with a fisheye lens for the rest of your rest of your photography life i could see that you would develop a very interesting style you would become a professional in 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 foreground and background elements with a fisheye lens
1: i could see that it's not for me i've never i i mean i'll take one or two photos with a fisheye but i get bored because it's not the type of photos that i like best
0: i agree i'm so not so. someone who you know We've talked about this before. Our soup, our funky lenses, specialty lenses, if you will, uh, like the fisheye lens, they, they have their place. We love them. But yes, once or twice a year, we're actually finding a place. Oh, well, let's make sure we bring our fisheye. Right. So, yeah, I could see that with fisheye. But the thing about fisheye and, and all your wide lenses, uh, what's the cool thing about the fisheye or, or wide in general? They, the, cur- the curve? No, uh, they they they're still zoom they still can be zoom lenses, right? Right. Why how? How would they still be zoom lenses?
1: They zoom, can zoom with your zoom with your feet. Zoom with
0: your feet. So uh now that's not good if you are into fisheye uh grizzly bear photography. But uh but anything else I think I think you'd be okay.
1: Keep away from those lions and mountain lions too. And bears. <laughs> lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Something like that. <laughs>
0: How about wide angle? Now fisheye typically has the the very the very circular distortion on the on the on the the camera on the lens, I should say. Uh, you can go wide, you can go ultra wide or wide angle lenses, and some of these lenses, you know, can can correct the the distortion, the barrel distortion, and some of them cannot. And I think they'd be in this in the same in the same boat basically. Right. Uh, I would rather have a wide lens that. That has the distortion correction. Uh, not that, not that, that, that there aren't ways to fix such distortion in, uh, in post-processing. But I, I find that it would I – would, I would think that it would be difficult to – and you would be able to get in. You would be able to do it. But I find that it would be a little bit on the difficult side to pre-visualize undistorted photos mm-hmm. with a distorted lens. But on the other hand, if you like, you know, a fisheye lens and or a or an ultra wide lens that that still has that distortion, you're you're basically making two lenses out of it.
1: Yeah, I could see that.
0: You can you can go kind of wide and funky and and distorted for for your artistic endeavors or you can decide that, you know, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to fix that distortion. Uh, What's the problem with photographing people with wide angle lenses, though?
1: It doesn't give you the like separation of people.
0: It's it's almost too separated. If you've ever heard of the dog nose effect, if you ever photograph a dog uh, close up, and and that the nose is right up in the camera, or a horse, uh, the same thing can happen to people as well. And it's a very interesting. If if you've never done this, uh, this is definitely one of our. It's kind of one of our workshop things, where. We would we would ask you to to photograph somebody with a range of a range of vocal lengths. And you want to go as wide as you can and and fill the frame with with your subject and photograph them. And then you want to go down the range until you get to telephoto or super telephoto and photograph the same and you're gonna put the person's face in the frame the same size. Now of course with a, a telephoto lens, you're gonna to have to back up way up. But you can actually see a 3D modeling of the face. Uh, even with a wide-angle lens, you're so close to the nose to, to fill up your frame with, with your subject that the nose will t- typically be a lot larger. And when you're, when you're working with a telephoto lens or a, a zoom lens, you're, you're so far back that you, like Christine said, you lose that kind of 3D layering of the face and everything looks really flat. Uh, the do you remember what the the standardized size is for portraiture lenses? Thirty-five to
1: eighty-five.
0: Eighty-five to one thirty-five. You 85. you missed a one, but that's okay. But that's the the old traditional size, and this is with a you know, and this is with a thirty-five millimeter full frame sensor. It's, everything changes a little bit depending on your your film or your sensor size if you're shooting digitally. But if you're shooting 35 millimeter or the equivalent of these DSLR full frame sensors on on any any brand camera, then your your 85 to 135 is about where you where you like it. Um, I like 85. I like the the size of 85, and I know Christine does as well, because it makes it kind of sculpts and models the face a little bit better. Anyway, let's get on with uh, with just standard lenses and and. The standard size of each size of digital sensor or film there is a quote unquote standard millimeter or standard focal length of that size of film or digital sensor and with 35 millimeter that is 50 millimeter that is a 50 millimeter lens because that more closely resembles your 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 point of view through your eyes right right and uh, so let's say standard let's say a 50 50 millimeter lens. What is a good thing about 50 millimeter lenses though?
1: They're very popular and you can get them in a variety of apertures, which is always useful. 50
0: and- 51.2 is is very that's not as affordable. 51.4, 51.8. Um, you know, these the you're you're getting nice wide open apertures with a 50 millimeter lens for a lot cheaper than most of your other focal lenses. So that is the cool thing about 50 millimeter lenses and also they're very they're very tiny.
1: Yeah. They're um, small and lightweight and they're easy to keep on your camera and use right.
0: And you can still shoot uh, we've you know I've done it before. you can still shoot a portrait on a 50 and it's not going to be as bad. Um, I feel that it's it's acceptable but uh, but my favorite still being the 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 very uh, wide 85 millimeter kind of range. But 50 and you got to be careful with 50 because 50 millimeter at 1.2 1.4 and even 1.8 has a very shallow depth of field when you're shooting wide wide open. yeah and typically this is and I've seen some other wet plate photographers like this and'm I'm, I'm not a fan of this but I can I can see the artisticness of it where some wet plate photographers they get so close and they shoot wide open they're not they're not using a they're not stopping down their lenses with, Either waterhouse stops or, or anything else, and they're they're getting the eyes in tack sharp focus, but the nose is blurred.
1: And I've I think seen you that. I've
0: shown you a couple of them, or you've seen them yourself. And I'm, I just cannot be I cannot be a fan of that because I just did not like the the look of that.
1: Yeah, I know the eyes are the most important thing to have in focus, but. The nose really helps define a person, so yeah, that's even, not a look I like as much.
0: Even ears, it, it's it's just a little bit off-putting to me. If I'm looking at somebody and and you can have the the eyes in perfect sharpness, perfect focus, but the nose is a is a is a no-go for me. And even if the ears are out of focus, it's, I'm um, I'm just I'm just kind of questioning why, why you didn't stop that down just a little bit. Yeah. So I'm not a fan of that, but you know, you may be.
1: I can see, I can see how some people would like it, but yeah, it's not for me either.
0: What's our next, uh, our next range of lenses?
1: The short range telephoto, Mm -hmm. the 85 to 135 millimeter. Well, that's we've talked about them a little bit.
0: Yeah, about 85 to 135. uh, I've seen, I've seen people online refer to that as a short range telephoto, and that's that's okay. Um, That's more normal. That's more the normal. Thirty-five to one thirty-five is is kind of the more normal thing that okay. I they like to I like to see, normal as in I call that a stand I call them kind of standard lenses. I one thirty-five on a full frame sensor, I guess it is basic telephoto. But yeah, I, I personally I just don't refer to that as that. But anyway, short range telephoto uh, eighty-five to one thirty-five. You uh yeah I mean, let's say you're shooting eighty-five or or one thirty-five. You can still zoom out with your feet in in most instances, I guess, yeah uh you could also you can also shoot several images overlapping them and uh, and of course, this would work better on a computer on a digital sensor is you could overlap them and uh, create a panorama and basically create the the equivalent of a wider a wider scene if you needed it,
1: yeah, you can,
0: yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if a short range, maybe because I, I, let's let's be honest, I haven't even picked. Have you picked your your lens? I have. I haven't. I have not picked mine. I wanted to go into this blind because I want to talk myself into and out of certain lenses.
1: I I picked it, but I mean, I could be swayed by our right. conversation.
0: Uh, next is we'll just go into regular telephoto, and I've seen people call up. 135 to 400 telephoto, and then mega telephoto or super telephoto, 400 and, and more, which I guess I can agree with. But standard telephoto, 135 to 400, this is where you're getting a little on the crazy side. But the thing is, is if you're interested in, let's say you, you, know, you just like certain kind of photography. Let's right. say you're just into bird photography or wildlife photography, or maybe you like street photography where you can kind of pick somebody out on a public street and and create art that way I can I can see telephoto working in your favor for that
1: or air shows or something like that also Right
0: well uh, that's just, that super telephoto for us um and and we'll shoot typically air shows uh we've got for our uh we've got for our Nikons the 200 to 500 yes. lenses and they're nice lenses they're nice lenses for like $1200 and but the problem is they're f five six right, and you need a beautiful sunny day really to to make those lenses sing and they're very nice lenses, but as soon as the clouds come out to play it becomes it becomes problematic
1: well, I guess for me, they're super because previously I had my seventy to two hundred that I put my two x extender on, which was about the same, and for me i feel I get better photos with the 200 to 500. So
0: and I can understand that. I, you know 70 to 200 with an extender you're you're putting yourself at exactly the same aperture F5.6. Right. You're losing two stops with the 2x extender. Or I think the Nikons was a
1: 1.7? Something like uh, that. I think yeah. they had a
0: 1. Point, I know Canon had a
1: 1.4.
0: 4 and a 2. 2X. Point, a 2x extender. The Nikons have a I think a 1.4 and a 1.7. But you're getting 1.7 times the the focal length at a, at a, a a deficit of two stops, right. so therefore your 2.8 lens now becomes a 5.6. But the thing being is you're passing that image through much more glass with your extender, right? So I yeah, absolutely I think the 200 to 500 is definitely um,
1: a step up from this. a
0: step up from extending your 70 to 200. However, I I I've got to be honest with you. I've never really done a test with that. Right. Uh, and that's something that, you know, when I when I was uh, uh when I started off with with the long lenses with uh with the Canon, with the Canon system, I I did I did all that. I I did all the testing with the lenses and saw what I liked uh, what I liked better with this versus that. And I tried to fill the frame the exact same way and I I got to tell you we've never done that with the with the Nikons and I think we need to do that
1: yeah i've never compared doing the the two x or the one point seven with the seventy to two hundred on the nikon
0: and speaking of telephoto so. um we we were going to sell our um canon e f four hundred two eight i s lens and that sucker was like twelve thousand thirteen thousand dollars new and we were gonna sell that but we decided not to we decided to keep that lens and either because I've got I've got a uh, what is it the I, I feel bad because I haven't I haven't shot it in a while, but it's the it's the last high end film back for Canon, which also uses the EF mount. But I think what we're gonna do is uh, I think we're gonna find a, you know, one of these times when Canon comes out with their their new mirrorless camera. I think we're gonna get the the converter for that and then that way we have a Canon we have a canon body for this giant lens that we're not going to get hardly anything for. We yeah, went online to some of these used places and I mean, I would rather disassemble this 400 lens and and use the magnifying glasses to burn anthills uh, instead of instead of actually let this lens go for as little as we've been offered through some of the some of the name some of the big names out there in used gear. Um, so we've decided to keep that lens for our our film, our Canon film bodies, and then we thought about getting a digital, one of the newer digital bodies, or maybe a used one. I don't know. We kind of talked about that. That way, we can keep the telephoto, uh, the super telephoto, I guess we should call it. But but we also have a tilt shift lens, and we also have a, a nice uh, twenty four to 70 two eight, you know L. It's all it's all L glass. So we have a couple lenses still for the Canon system and uh, and as even though we did officially switch entirely from canon to nikon what three years ago now yeah we you know it's
1: we still have a few of our canon gear
0: photography is it's not about gear and i know you'll hear a lot of people talk about it's all about gear it's not about gear it's about what you do with the gear you have right and and that's that's okay I have no problem keep you know getting getting a a just a Canon body to to utilize some of these lenses that, as I said, we're not going to get anything for, right? Especially the the, the tilt the uh the, the super telephoto, the tilt shift either the tilt shift lens for the Canons is is fantastic. I love using it, and uh, and I kind of missed I kind of missed uh, not having that for the Nikon. Even though it's tilt shift is like a fisheye, I rarely use it. But sometimes when I'm shooting architectural work, or being able to offer architectural work, or take on an architectural job, I can I can get in there and use the the tilt shift and and get everything I need to get done. Right. Well, let's talk about the tilt shift. What is a tilt shift lens? And what this is is a basic. I believe the tilt shift we have is an 85 millimeter lens, and it's got a it's got rise and fall, and it's got shift up down left and right, and we can. If you've ever taken a photo of a building and your 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 film plane is facing up towards the building because you're not at the, you know you're not at the middle point of a building, typically the perspective of that building will fall will kind of, it'll kind of start off the width of the building and then it'll start to get skinny at the top. You'll have that perspective issue and then you'll need to go in and perspective correct it in uh, in your post processing software. Well, tilt tilt shift lens adjusts for that. You can then shift that image coming into your sensor that basically matches the the uh, the tilt of the building, and you can get per- if not perfect, very close lines up, down, left, right, horizontal and vertical lines, so that you can get beautiful, perfect architectural shots without having to do too much, uh, you know, pulling and pushing and and craziness in your post-processing software. So that's why it's good for. It's good for film photography because, you know, you you can you can tilt your you can tilt your uh, enlarger board a little bit to to adjust for that. But uh, you know, it's best. To, I'm I'm a big fan of getting it right in camera, and that's why I, I put all that money into that tilt shift lens decades ago.
1: Right, and you've always enjoyed using it. Tilt
0: shift is fun, and and it became a. It, about uh, about 10, maybe 15 years ago, it became a, a funny thing to do is to get one of these tilt shift lenses and intentionally photograph down on a city or down on something and then taking the tilt the opposite way. So you make that, that depth of field sliver razor thin and it gives it that, that look of a miniature village.
1: Interesting.
0: You've never seen one of those? That was a big thing about 15 years ago. That was and,
1: before my photography time. I and I
0: think I think I did like I think I photographed like three things like that. <laughs> and it was a fad. Yeah. It's like like so many other things. It's a fad. It's kinda cute to look at. It's kinda cool to look at. Maybe if we get uh if we get a Canon body, maybe we find a used mirrorless Canon body. We've uh, we're going on vacation out west in a couple months. If we have a this lens by then, maybe I'll bring not lens. If we have that body by then, maybe I'll bring the lens and 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 play with it again. It's always fun.
1: Yeah, you always did enjoy playing with that. Let's let's move on
0: to uh, something that I, I know you're a fan of, <laughs> which is macro lenses.
1: Oh, I love I loved your macro for your Canon whenever we were shooting Canon and I love my 105. did
0: you ever buy a macro lens or I think you used mine I
1: used yours mm-hmm. well you had it and you never used it well, well macro, you rarely used it so
0: macro for me is like a fisheye if I'm going somewhere where I know I'm I'm gonna want to pick out details absolutely I, I love the macro lens but that's why I don't have a macro lens now I'd rather just borrow Christine's or I do have extension tubes. And, uh, and we also have the close up filters because when Christine teaches her class and, and presents on macro photography, she has the. Um, oh, what, else, what do you have? You've got the rail system I have with the, the, the rail. bellows. I have the bellows. That, that actually moves the lens beyond, uh, that actually moves, it moves the lens forward and back in order to, to do macro and, and focus stacking that way. We've got the close-up filters, which is kind of the cheaper version because you're you're adding two more glass surfaces to your photo, and therefore you're degrading it that much. Right. Uh, you've got an extension tube, which is a set, just extension that goes between your camera and your lens.
1: Yeah, set millimeter. A
0: set millimeter, and uh, and then of course you've got the the standard, uh, you know, the the, the creme de la creme, which is is the actual macro lens itself. And 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 what what is macro?
1: It's photographing something the same size or making it look larger on the sensor than it actually is.
0: Right. It's at least a one-to-one recreation, I guess. Recreation of the image you are photographing. Let's say you're photographing a dime. That projected image on the back of the – on the sensor of the camera or on the the film is the same size or bigger than what you're photographing. That's the official term for macro – it doesn't really matter that much anymore with with super, with with affordable telephoto lenses, and with super high megapixel cameras, macro kind of it's kind of a, a a big melting pot of just just getting close up to something. Right, and I, I that's sometimes what I'll do if I want a macro shot of something and I have enough time to set sit around and and set it up, I may shoot telephoto and just zoom right in on that sucker.
1: Or if, if I don't happen to have mine with me, I'll do that. Right.
0: Or I'll shoot a standard lens or or a, a quote unquote short range telephoto, and then I'll just I'll just rely on on the the amount of megapixels I have in the camera to be able to crop down a little closer, if I can,
1: right. without it
0: falling apart too much. Uh, we need to talk about. Uh, there's three three lens types we need to continue talking about did we did we miss any 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 specialty we we covered the gamut of lenses did we did we miss any specialty lenses we talked about fisheye tilt shift macro
1: would my pets full count uh, as a specialty yeah, or is, I guess... it's kind of like a prime specialty
0: it is still a prime lens and we i do want to talk about uh you know prime and and, and zoom and um, the Petsville, I guess, and there's there's a def, definite class of these of these lenses that are intentionally soft on the edges, or uh, just have this certain look to them. So I can understand that you've got the you've got the petsfuls. Uh I believe um, the, the Lomography people have uh, have a couple different lenses that that I think video and, and filmmakers love videographers love and i i know there's a couple other ones there's some diy lenses out there like we talked about last week the the diy pinhole lenses we made and uh, i could i could see you i could see somebody taking a a pinhole lens and and only shooting with that and being completely happy with that yeah and the same thing with tilt shift i guess i didn't talk about tilt shift being it's tilt shift is an 85 millimeter prime lens it just happens that you can you can uh, 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 make it flop one way or the other, or up and down, left and right. But it's a perfectly wonderful 85 millimeter lens. Same thing with uh, with uh, with your pinhole. Can you you know can you can can you shoot everything that that's that you shoot with any other lens with a pinhole? Yeah. Yeah. It's slower. You're going to lose your your shutter speed, and it's super wide. I don't know.
1: Interesting thing to think about.
0: Yeah. Now, how about the the classification of the quality of of lenses? Now, a lot of these, you know, we a lot of people will you know, we call it the kit lens. And I mean, what kit lenses are, are they are typically the lens that comes if you buy your camera in a kit. If you buy your camera from uh, your local big box store, or you buy it from the the online retailer, typically. Uh, typically, like Canon Rebels, I don't know what the Rebel equivalent of the the Nikon is, but typically it is a cheaper lens that is not as fast. Fast being very wide aperture. It may be a lens that has a little bit of zoom, like an eighteen to fifty-five or a uh, or a thirty-five to one twenty-five, one thirty-five, whatever. But it's going to have either a a pretty stop-down aperture which is going to be f5.6 maybe it's got a a variable aperture depending on what what your focal length is can go to four five six typically they don't go any higher than five six because most digital cameras need uh, most any uh, slrs need at least five six to be able to to reliably focus they need that much light coming in but uh, kit lenses are typically cheaper cheaply made
1: often Um, plastic aren't they often
0: plastic but they're completely fine yeah they work they're completely fine there's nothing the only way you get out of kit lenses if you're you want to take up your portraiture game a little higher you're you're tired of such a slow lens you want faster lenses you want to really uh you want to really hammer down that depth of field because most most of the kit lenses came with crop sensor cameras so you're you're already kind of at a disadvantage with a slower lens and a crop sensor of getting, uh, making portraits with nice blurred backgrounds, out of focus backgrounds. But there's nothing wrong with a kit lens. Just like if you're, uh, you know, if you're uh, if, if you're a a kid or a young young adult that that has a, a camera body and you can't afford a, a lens yet, kit lens is fine. Making a pinhole is fine. Uh, some of the coolest experiments I've seen out there are people making their own kind of lenses. I've seen people – and we talked about it uh, – when did we talk – did we talk about this a, several episodes ago Where for the DIY lenses? Several people have taken, you know, the cheap 50-millimeter lenses and, and kind of taken two and turned them inside out on each other and made nice weird macro lenses out of them. Yeah. Or they've put them on a <laughs> – I remember that the, the toilet plunger bellows and they've made their own bellows and they can kind of, you know, kind of bend them left and right and up and down in order to make something that, that's very similar to a lens baby. Lens baby. How about lens baby? Yeah. And I don't know if there are any competitors to lens baby, but lens baby is a basically a lens that is on a, an accordion kind of plunger that can be pushed and pulled into the camera, but also uh, twisted and one side pushed in and one side pulled out. Um, I could see people getting getting along fine with just a lens baby. They're expensive now, though. I remember when the first one came out. I mean, it was it was cheap. It was cheap, but now it's such a kind of specialty thing, and, and people like it so much, and and they've they've improved it so much as well that uh, that they they've actually gone up quite quite a bit in price. I couldn't. If lens babies were the price they are now, back when I bought a lens baby, just just kind of to experiment to see if I liked it, I never would have pulled the trigger. Yeah. So I would I would say you know get yourself a, a used lens baby and try it, or maybe maybe somebody rents rents them out there, and see if it's your thing. Because lens baby was the exact same way as the tilt shift and the fisheye, actually probably less so. I had the lens baby and I probably used it less than the fisheye. And you know how little I use a fisheye. Yeah. But it's fun. It was fun for what it for what it was. I just I just can't I just can't pull the trigger now. And I and I think when we when we switched over to Nikon, that was one of the, you know, one of the the early lenses I looked at to see what uh, what was out there. Let's see. Yeah, the the new lens babies uh, yeah, there's a lens baby that's five hundred dollars oh wow uh they have some some very simple ones for two hundred dollars but they don't seem to to compress in as much as the old bellows lens baby used to do really interesting
1: yeah that is
0: um there there's there's one called the lens baby spark and that's what i remember and uh and that's two hundred dollars but the thing is is i had the the higher end lens baby that you can lock it this spark just looks like a bellows and maybe maybe you can lock it but mine had these three posts sticking out that i could actually spin each post and adjust that perfect that perfect sliver of of focus where my depth of field fell and that's what i loved about the lens baby I, it doesn't look like they have those anymore hmm interesting wonder if i could find a used one for the uh for the nikon mount I don't I don't see anything. Maybe and maybe maybe this spark does have the ability to to make it stay. But I love the fact that the, the lens baby had that that twisty motion kind of thing going on and you can fine tune everything. That's interesting. Anyway, uh we talked about that. We talked about the the kit lenses the other two lenses that are out there, it just they're just basic classifications. And you've got prime lenses. And what is a prime lens?
1: It's one set millimeter. One
0: focal length. One focal length. And typically prime lenses were always, you know, back in the day you wanted a prime lens because the the lens that did one focal length did its did its job so much better. Nowadays, optics are getting so good. It's nice having a prime lens, I gotta say I love prime still, but I think that might be kind of my um my own issues growing up with lens with with zoom lenses that just sucked
1: your own bias
0: my own bias for those uh, it's kind of kind of interesting.
1: I guess the only prime I've ever had prior to my one o five was my fifty. And I enjoyed using it, but it, my 24 to 70 and 70 to 200 were so good that they were my primary lenses I used for everything.
0: Right. I don't and know. still
1: are predominantly, other than my 200 to 500.
0: Now, I still like 70 to 200, 200 24 to 70, I know how great those lenses are. And our two hundred to five hundred—that's—that's that's not the greatest lens in the world, anyway. So I—I I use the fact that that's a slow lens as kind of fuels my bias of liking primes more than, than zoom lenses. But I mean, then you have some of these lenses out there. I think Sigma's got one. It's like twenty to two hundred or something. It's Such a wide variety. It's—I just can't imagine can't imagine having that. There's
1: like a 35 to 400 or something like that that I've seen, and, and that's just so wide. And yeah, I get that you want one lens that does everything, but yeah, can no. it do everything well if it's that wide?
0: And that's that's why because people ask me, you know, so many airshow photographers shot the Canon 100 to 400. I I I spent it's <laughs> been way much more for the 400 prime because the images were so much better. I rented a 100 to 400, and then I bought the 400, thinking that oh well, if I don't like it, I can. I actually bought it for the the space shuttle launch. Actually, <laughs> if you remember correctly, yeah. Um, and my thought was like, okay, well, I can I can always sell it off, and I kind of never sold it. <laughs> I kind of fell kept in love it. with that. I fell lens. in love with that lens, even though my my big my big space shuttle launch photo was with the 200, I probably. It was my 70 to 200 Canon, but it was probably at 150 millimeter or something. That 400 was way too much. It was way too zoomed for where we were. We were at the we were at the clock. We were at the the old fashioned uh, uh, NASA clock at Kennedy Kennedy Space Center, and that 400 was way too much. I remember when you when you were were invited to go down there, I offered for you to take the 400. And you were like, no. And I said, well, it's probably smart because you do not need it.
1: And that's the main thing that swayed me. I knew my seventy to two hundred would be way more than enough, right? And it was.
0: I found uh, not to not to go too crazy off the subject. Uh, and actually, we uh, we were talking about the lens baby. They don't make this anymore, but this is a newer version of the one I had. But it's called the Lens Baby Control Freak, and they, they don't make them anymore. I found one on on eBay, and. It has it has these little magnetic disks you can you can pop in to change the aperture. I think it was f3.5 by itself. But um, it's it's a lens baby on the bellows and it's got those three posts and used, they're 300 bucks. Good night. I'd love to get a Nikon one, but I don't know. I just didn't use it enough to justify even used 300 bucks. Anyway anyway, the lens baby control freak if you have a hard time understanding what I'm you know what I'm kind of describing and uh, you can see what what we're t- talking about there. How about uh, and and of course with prime then you've got zoom right right And that is what we just talked about you know very very zoomy uh, going from a a wide app very wide focal length to a zoom focal length and and going from there so so at the end of the day, what is your? Uh, let's let's say you've got a full full frame sensor camera, or you've got a a film D, uh, SLR, which is full frame. What is your lens?
1: That's going to change me because the one I was thinking isn't for a full frame. Um,
0: interesting. Okay.
1: <laughs> My original one that I came up with was my very first lens that i ever had which was my 28 to 135 which
0: was that efs
1: it was an efs Mm. but i loved it because it gave me wide angle it gave me some zoom it gave me a little bit of macro not as close as a prime macro lens but it was meant for a little bit of macro and it shot almost everything i needed other than the bird and the airplanes and stuff
0: well, what, is, what was that lens equivalent? Would it be, 20, um, would it be 28 divided by 1. Uh, 1. 1.6, right? 20, did you say 28 to 135? 28 to
1: 135. Okay,
0: yes. so that's, uh, I guess, on a full frame. If, if you were to shoot that on a full frame mm-hmm. sensor, which you. Well, actually, you know what? If it was 28 to 135 EFS, I think that was the actual focal length because that lens only could work on a crop sensor. Right and and you don't like if you were to get a 28 to 135 full frame sensor lens
1: if they made that but i don't know if they make that
0: okay well, let's let's go online and see if they make that they have a 28 to 105 lens but i'm i'm just kind of interested in finding out why why that instead of let's say 24 to 70
1: because it gives me more zoom.
0: Okay. Uh, how about 20? There's a 28 to 105. The, the problem is it's a uh, you know it's a 35 to 45 aperture lens. Would you take a 28 to 135 if it was let's say f4 over 24 to 70 at f2.8?
1: I love my 24 to 70, but the Nikon one isn't macro. Although the Canon one had some macro ability mm-hmm. and I love my macro shots and it doesn't go as zoomy and I wouldn't be able to do even, um, it would be very difficult to get any birds or any of those type of things. Mm. So that's where that difficulty comes in. Okay. And the uh, 28 to 135 is a 3.5 to 5.6, but... I still loved that lens and maybe it's just because it's was my first lens and maybe that's why I loved it so much. Hmm. Um, It got me started. I learned how to photograph with that lens. So maybe that's my bias. Nostalgia. Part of it. it, But I mean, it wasn't a kit kit lens. It was medium grade glass. It was the golden bar instead of the wasn't the L lens. it, It wasn't the L lens, but it wasn't the, cheap plastic either
0: right i think that one came uh, like if you if if you go if you move from the big box store or the big everything retailer online and you go with an actual camera store and um and we know the big camera store names out there sometimes they make their own kits so therefore they you'd have a quote-unquote kit lens but it wasn't the quality of a kit lens it was a much better quality lens right um like christine's talking about i think that's how you'd gotten that you'd bought the uh, you had bought the the dslr camera body and the either one or two lenses or maybe it was a lens and a camera bag or something um but yeah i remember you getting that it's interesting um my lens i still don't know i'm gonna have to say if i were to take any lens that i can get it would be uh maybe like a it would be an 80, I think it would be an 85 millimeter prime.
1: Oh, maybe it wasn't an, I'm sorry. It so in wasn't that 85
0: millimeter prime, uh, I would get as wide as I can go. I don't know what, uh, I'm not really sure what, uh, how wide you can get an 85. I'm sure you can get up 85, 1.2. But I would, I think I would do 85 millimeter. I think that's wide enough that I would be happy with it. I can go in and if I was shooting it digitally, I can, uh, I can stitch together photos and then I can always zoom with my feet. Yeah. But I love the fact that the 85 millimeter has such sharp depth of field that I can use that when I want or I can stop it down like crazy if I want to as well. But I it, think I think I would choose an 85 prime or maybe – yeah, I think prime. I think prime would push it over the edge. And this, my second one would either be the 24 to 70 or the 70 to 200. And then I would always, and then from there I would, I would kind of go back to the twenty-four to seventy, two eight, just from the versatility standpoint.
1: If I could have two lenses, it would probably be the twenty-four to seventy and my seventy to two hundred, because oh, that's, those are the two lenses that I use for the majority of my photography.
0: Right. If we're talking two, then yes, twenty-four uh, seventy to seventy to two hundred. That that gets you the whole gamut of everything you need. Uh, absolutely this question completely changes if it's two lenses versus one um, and that is the you know when when you're ready to get um, either either the high-end nikon glass or the high-end canon glass that is the two the two lenses you that you, that you need to have in your camera bag if you're if you're a a, a all-around photographer uh, you're going to be completely happy with the, the the range 24 to 200 over two lenses for sure Absolutely.
1: I got looking that uh, 28 to 135 isn't an EFS lens. Okay. It's just an EF lens. So okay. it would work on a full sensor.
0: Well, then it would be 28 to 135. Or let's see, let me get the old calculator up. 28 times 1.6, I believe, was the crop factor of, uh, of the Canon. So you would be shooting 50. it would basically be a 50 to 200 lens on your crop sensor
1: but i mean that lens did a lot for me yeah it was a fantastic it was a great for beginning and And it was macro so i like that
0: it was macro it was close enough One point six
1: feet which is closer than many other lenses
0: it's not officially macro like we talked about macro but it has a much closer minimum focusing uh, distance which you definitely like
1: well, it always said it was macro on the lens. Does so it actually correct. say macro it on the lens? It says macro on the lens. Huh, interesting. Which is why I always called it a macro lens.
0: Well, I think that's pretty much it. I think we've exhausted everything, every possible lens. Uh, probably not every possible lens out there, but at least the majority of lenses that most people would get. And I want to know, what is what is your lens of choice? If you had one lens to pick and... Uh, you know you could you can explain uh, you know what you shoot, what you like to shoot, what camera you're shooting, Are you shooting film? are you shooting digital? Uh, give me an idea of what you would pick to go with your favorite shooting style. Maybe maybe we'll do if you had one camera. maybe in a future episode we'll do if you had one camera, or if you had one film stock or one alternative process to ever, to use for the rest of your life what would you choose well maybe we'll do that in the future but but in the meantime let me know what lens you would pick if you were told that you could only have one lens uh, for the rest of your photography career or photography life and uh, of course we want to hear from you about that and you can connect with us on our facebook group or through email at podcast at your comments just might make it into a future episode And as always, a big thank you to everyone for continuing to join us, all the love and support we've received from people liking us on Facebook, subscribing and rating us on your podcast platform of choice, and also a big thank you to our Patreon and subscription supporters. Starting at just a buck, you can get our shows early with our supporters only after show, all without ads. Be sure to check out our other supporter tiers as well, which are geared towards bringing you along on our Darkroom projects with great rewards. All of our links can be found in our show notes and also on www.underredglow.com. And now with episode 38 down, it's been our absolute pleasure spending this time with you. Please be sure to subscribe to Under a Red Glow. And if we've earned your recommendation to other photographers of any skill level or process, we would certainly appreciate you sharing us with them. A big thank you to my co-host, Christine Milliker, and of course, everyone for listening. If you're listening on Patreon or our supporter page, please stay tuned for the after show. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to visiting with you next time. Goodbye.
1: Goodbye.